0: Individuals, Uh, we're in Romans chapter twelve. That's where we want to get to. Let's open your Bibles and and uh, we're we're really we kicked off last week the introduction uh, to our uh, this this study uh, concerning the principled life, and um, it's really the study guide that I'm using other than the Bible is uh, R. B. Olette's book, uh, The Principled Life, which is a collection of messages that he preached. Uh, to his congregation back before he re- retired. And uh, uh, just uh, just some great things. And I feel like this goes along with discipleship, or really a next level of discipleship. And so uh, just we, we began with an introduction last week. Uh, tonight we really begin the first lesson. And uh, we start right here in Romans chapter 12. And I want to remind you, a principle is instructions from God's Word. It's something that God plainly says in Scripture. And we make it our own when it becomes, we, hear, we see the principle, it becomes a conviction in our life that this is God's Word, this is God's truth, and I want to apply it to my life personally. And as a result of that, I, sort of, I set guidelines. I, I set standards in my life that are going to line up with this principle and help me to obey the Word of God in my personal life. And so we want to live according to the principles found in God's Word. And Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, contains a very familiar principle. Uh, Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Such a powerful verse. He goes on and says in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. You know the old phrase, if you keep doing the same things, you'll always get the same results. Uh, and so he's speaking here as a believer. He is begging. That's what the word beseech. I, I am, I'm, I'm begging you, therefore. Uh, he says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And it's a holy sacrifice. It's acceptable unto God. And it's a reasonable part of our Christian service. And some of the guidelines are established right there in verse 2. We can't be conformed to this world. We, we have to be transformed inwardly by the way that we think, by the renewing of our mind. And we are set out to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So... Father, I pray tonight as we get here in this scripture that you'll bless our time of study in your word. Father, we realize, as we mentioned last week, how important your word is in our life. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, your word sanctifies us as Jesus prayed in John seventeen seventeen. Your word, Lord, is something that we hold in our heart that keeps us holy, that keeps us out of sin. That we might not sin against you. Father, we understand tonight to be, a, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we must sit down and hear the word, look at it in our own life and how it applies to our own life, make it very personal in our life. This is our conviction. This is what we, we realize that this is important because God's word says it. And we want to carry this out, this principle out in our life. And then therefore, Lord, we want to establish guidelines in our life that we can follow this, uh, this precept. So I pray tonight that you'd bless us in our time together. Lord, I pray tonight for our kids in Iwana, those who are volunteering to help them tonight. Bless them as they get in the Word together and they fellowship. And bless our teenagers tonight. Father, I I appreciate their growth. And uh, Lord, I pray tonight that you'll bless the preaching and the teaching of God's word in their heart. And uh, Lord, may you continue to change lives there. And then those tonight who are somewhere in the building being discipled, I pray, Father, that one-on-one mentoring time is something very special. So bless us as we gather together tonight in all these areas of discipleship and growing and learning. And uh, Father, being more that you... Uh, have called us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Everybody good tonight? All right, it's Wednesday night. You know something? Everyone loves success stories. I, I love success stories. I, I like to read about people and uh, things that they have accomplished. I like to watch documentaries. I like to live, uh, watch movies that are based on individuals and, and their life and, uh, and, and the different ways and we, we like success stories and we love to learn the things that make an individual one of the best at what he or she does. And uh, there's one particular individual in the sports world that I, that I, I like to uh, watch YouTube videos occasionally uh, just because he is such a motivation in a lot of things. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of stuff, I'll just go ahead and say that. But the guy was a success in what he did. And uh, that just speaks to me in wanting to learn how to be a better individual or better at what I'm trying to do. And uh, Kobe Bryant is the NBA's fourth all-time leading scorer. And when people talk about who is the greatest basketball player of all time, his name always ends up in that conversation. I don't believe he is, but he's in that conversation. And there's no mistaking that he was extremely good because if you do a search on him, you'll find loads of motivational videos that are based around his incredible work ethic. And one of my favorites is told by a, uh, a guy by the name of Jason Williams. He played at Duke, went on to play for the Chicago Bulls post-Michael Jordan days. I've got to throw that in there. And uh, uh, Jason Williams is telling this story of, of uh, 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 inter- an interaction that he had with Kobe Bryant. And uh, he said that they were out on the uh, West Coast. They were in L.A. And uh, they were getting prepared that evening to play Kobe and, and Shaq, and uh, the rest the, of the world champion Los Angeles Lakers, and uh, he wanted to do really really well. And Jason Williams was very well known for his work ethic as well. Uh, he he just he just chose to he made his mark by outworking other people. And uh, he decided he was going to go to the gym. The game was at seven o'clock at night. He was going to go early at three o'clock in the afternoon and uh, he shows up, carries his sneakers into the gym, and he hears a basketball bouncing, and lo and behold, who has is, who is beat him to the gym? It Kobe Bryant in the gym. And Jason laced up his sneakers, went out there on the floor, and his goal was to uh, practice hard for about an hour, an hour and a half. He wanted to make 400 shots before he left. That's how he become a professional. He put in the work. 400 shots. He practiced hard for about an hour and a half. He's walking off the court and he looks down on the other end, and that guy is still practicing. Kobe Bryant is still practicing. And he just sat down and he just watched him for another 25 minutes. And he says, You got to understand, when I showed up an hour and a half ago, the guy was already in a full sweat. It's not like he just showed up. He had been there for a while. He is sweating, and and he had been putting in the work, and now I see him. And he's not down there shooting the ball and walking up and picking it up and bouncing it a couple of times like we do, you know. He 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 is going game speed, taking game shots. So he says, I watched him for 25 minutes, and I finally had enough and said, you could have it. And he went on, he went on back to the, to the room, got in the sauna, got prepared for the game. They played at 7 o'clock that night, and Kobe Bryant put 40 points on them. And so after the game, he went, and they, they shook hands, and he, he just said, I had to ask him. I had to ask him, why? Why did he put in so much work? Well, he, he's obviously one of the best players in the game. Why did he put in so much time and effort? And this is what Kobe told him. He said, because I saw you come in and I wanted you to know that it doesn't matter how hard you work, I'm willing to work harder than you. I like that response. (laughs) He said, I wanted you to know you can work as hard as you want to, but Kobe Bryant is going to outwork you. And he he says, you inspired me to be better. And Jason concluded the interview saying, as athletes, we're not, we're not going to be better if we're not willing to put in the time. And basketball is very similar to the game of life. There, there are times when you're going to, there's going to be ups and downs. It's not always going to be easy. There are going to be challenges. There's still going to be curveballs thrown my way. But if, but if I consistently put in the work That is the only way you're going to grow. And that is from two individuals, very successful in their craft, very dedicated. And if we take the time to look at similarities of people um, that many of us would consider successful, we'll find similarities. Some of them I wrote down. You'll find that they are very disciplined. To develop their skills and talents it doesn't have to be just in sports it could be in a lot of things a lot of things that we find in life where people are very successful they had the discipline to develop their skills and talents to improve they're fueled with a passion or we might use the word drive they're driven to succeed at what they're doing a third one is they don't sit around hoping something happens They get after it with a work ethic to pursue their goals. They realize that if it's going to happen, they have a huge part in that, and so they give it everything they got every day with an incredible work ethic because if it's a goal worth pursuing, it's a goal worth achieving. So they set out and determine to do that. They possess a willingness to sacrifice those things that holds them back. While everybody else is sitting on the lazy boy, they're putting in the work. They don't sit around. And uh, One of the things that I've really, when I've been reading about very successful people, one of the things that they have in common, they don't sit around and watch much TV. They've always got something to do. They're always involved in something. They have an optimistic belief that anything is possible. How about that? They believe that if they're that if they put they they may say phrases like if I put my mind to it if I put in the time anything is possible and then they have a confidence in their ability to get it done and you'd call such people highly dedicated individuals hmm here's something that I have thought about many times especially during football season in football season everybody has their favorite team they have their favorite players And man, it's amazing how much knowledge armchair quarterbacks have. Can I get an amen? I mean, it is amazing how much we know when we ain't put in a sit-up all week long or a push-up. But we know all about it. We know exactly what Nick Saban should run on that particular play. We know, right? We, we, We know all there is to it. And I've often thought of how how we expect, I'm just using this as an example, we expect young men, young ladies, college athletes to be absolutely perfect when our Christian life oftentimes is pretty pathetic. We don't give the same attention, we don't have the same expectation for ourselves. I think this is something that we ought to consider. I'm afraid that we forget many times that according to Paul's letter to the Romans, that God has reasonably called us spiritually to live highly dedicated lives. And so let's read that, let's, let's bring ourselves back. Because we're not talking about the business world, we're not talking about the athletic world. We realize the world is full of successful people. But we're talking about spiritual things. And Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We give up ourselves. How about that? A holy sacrifice. That means we're not giving our leftovers. We're giving something. We're giving the best of ourselves. We're giving a sacrifice that is acceptable unto God. I mean, when the Passover lamb is without spot, without blemish, we're not not just giving the Lord back things that don't really matter to us. Those things are not sacrificial. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We find here the principle of consecration. And consecration means we completely yield our will to God. And by doing so, we place a priority on spiritual things over physical things. And it means that we're given wholly, completely, to the things of God. It means we completely yield our will to God. Jesus is very well known for his prayer in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. Right? Very well known for that. And the truth is, the truth is, because of that prayer and that heart, Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, and that's why we're here tonight. Our sins have been forgiven because of Jesus Christ and and submitting himself to the will of the Father. It's a wonderful example to us. It means to completely yield our will to God. Well, William Booth and D.L. Moody were accomplished individuals spiritually, And there's no doubt that their lives were completely surrendered to God. When visiting England, evangelist J. Wilbur Chapman, he asked to meet with General Booth, and he asked him what was the secret of his success as founder of the Salvation Army. Booth kind of scrubbed his head a little bit and just paused. He began to get emotional, and Chapman began to see the tears stream down Booth's cheek. And Booth replied, I'll tell you the secret. God has all there was of me to have. There have been men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do, I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Why did God use William Booth in such a way? Because God had all there was of William Booth successful. There are many who would call such thinking fanatical. I'm going to give all there is of myself. I'm going to give it all to the Lord. He has my heart. He has my mind. He has all there is of me. And people would say, man, you're a fanatic. But I'd say Kobe Bryant was a fanatic. I would say Michael Jordan is a fanatic. Tom Brady, the GOAT. He's a fanatic. Nick Saban is a fanatic about the things that they do. Nobody gives them a hard time. As a matter of fact, we admire them for that. They're completely sold out for their particular cause. William Booth was fanatical for the Lord. Chapman left his conversation with Booth with a greater understanding of what a consecrated life is. I quote, I learned from the conversation that day that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. I'll read it again. I learned from my conversation with William Booth that day that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. Have you ever stopped to think just what keeps us from living fully consec- surrendered, consecrated lives? What keeps me from being all I can be for Jesus Christ? What stops me? Just one thing. Me. Amen? It's not the devil. The devil don't know most of our names. We can't get out of our own way. He doesn't have to worry about that. What gets in our way is ourself. Uh, You're in Romans 12, why don't we read Romans chapter 6? Romans chapter 6, and let's see something here that Paul writes, and we'll begin reading in verse number 8. He says, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. Indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Keep that in mind in verse 12. What stops us? We let, our, we let ourselves stop us. He's, he's charging us there. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and the lust thereof. The lust of our flesh, the pride of our life, the, the lust of the eyes, the things that are pleasing to our flesh, we desire and we seek after. And therefore, we're not living holy, consecrated lives. God doesn't have all there is of us because we want to keep a huge part to and Instead, he says in verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Aren't you glad of that? For you're not under the law, but under grace. Sin don't have control over us any longer. We're under the grace of God. We've been born again. We're filled with the Spirit of God. Well, D.L. Moody was a, a consecrated individual. He was already an effective evangelist before he met Henry Varley. But God used Varley to further challenge the growth and commitment of Preacher Moody. It wasn't a sermon he preached. It he he wasn't he standing up and delivered the Word of God. It was just a casual conversation. And Varley said, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Well, Moody's, he's being used to the Lord, but doesn't mean he's arrived. He's wanting to grow, and he just couldn't get that phrase out of his mind. The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And Moody later told Varley, he said, those were, those were the words sent to my soul through you from the living God. As I crossed the wide Atlantic, the boards of the deck of the vessels seemed to be engraved with them. And when I reached Chicago, the very paving stones seemed marked with them. And under the power of those words, I've come back to England, and I felt that I must not let more time pass until I let you know how God used your words to my inmost soul. There's a fire burning in his heart. He just couldn't get it out of him. The world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And Moody set out to be that individual. The rest of his life, he was a man fully surrendered to the Lord, and it was obvious to those who heard him speak. If you've been here long enough, you've heard me say this illustration. There was a group of British preachers who had gathered together with a desire in their heart to to have a gospel crusade. And as they were meeting together, uh, D.L. Moody, the name D.L. Moody popped up. And one of them, one of them just was with skepticism. He said, Why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's unordained, he's uneducated, he's inexperienced. Who does he think he is? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? But one of the older pastors who had heard Moody preach replied, No, Mr. Moody doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. But one thing is for sure, the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. I love that. When we think of our service to the Lord, we, th- we think of our lack of qualifications. We think of why we can't. All right? We-, we compare ourselves with other individuals, and this is why I can't do anything for the Lord. But what I want us to understand tonight is it doesn't take special talents or training. To yield to God. It requires one thing. A willingness. God can do wonderful things with willingness. I mentioned Sunday. He can do wonderful things with faithfulness. I'm just going to give it all to the Lord. I'm going to allow God to have all there is of me. Alright, so let's see this. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, write this down. Yielding to God must precede our full understanding of His purposes. Yielding to God, living a consecrated life, must precede precede our full understanding of His purposes. Turn your Bible to Proverbs chapter 16. Would you do that? Now, we know this. We know the Bible clearly declares... That without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know that, right? Hebrews eleven six 6. Says it plainly. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, what is faith? What is faith? Let's make it simple. What's the Bible definition of faith? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of what? Things not seen, Right. It, Faith is the evidence of things not seen. If it's not seen, then we cannot wait until we understand everything. All right? Before we surrender ourselves to the Lord. Now, we want it to be that way. Lord, I'll do this. I, will pro- I promise you I'll do it. But what's going to happen when I do it? That'd be easier, right? We want the results. We, we want to know what we're walking into. Well, that doesn't, that's not faith. Well... Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, look in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Here's a a great principle in in its own right. Commit thy works unto the Lord. What's it say? Thy thoughts shall be established. I remember years ago, my pastor giving me that verse. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. He would just tell me, just go do something for the Lord. Live for the Lord. Serve the Lord. The Lord will establish your thoughts. If you're having a bad day, hey, serve the Lord. Do something in your life to impact someone else. Live out a principle of God's Word in your life, and your thoughts will become established. Yielding to God must precede our full understanding of His purposes. Just commit our works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts will be established. I'm going to do it because I know it's right. Well, here's an application. Write this down, okay? Here's here's something to think about. Are we only willing to trust the Lord if he makes his intentions clear and unmistakable? Well, if if that's the requirement for us, we're not willing to give ourselves a living sacrifice. We're not willing to yield ourselves to the will of God. We'll only do it when we understand what it is God wants to do. Are we willing to trust the Lord if he makes his intentions clear and unmistakable? We're talking about being a consecrated life. Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice that's not conform to this world, but being transformed, a new life. Well, secondly, uh, here's one, we must realize that choices lead to consequences. How about that? Our decisions, I, I just said this a couple of weeks ago, our decisions are always leading us somewhere. We decide where that's going where, where to be. We must realize our choices lead to consequences. Turn your Bible to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 32. Do you realize we're in control of our choices? We are in control of our choices. We cannot put the blame on anyone else. And that's what we always do, and that's always been our nature, going always back to Genesis chapter 3. It's always somebody else's fault. Is it? I mean, maybe somebody led us there. But did somebody make me do that? We're in control of our choices. We can choose to yield to the Spirit. Or we can choose to yield to the flesh. And there are consequences with either choice. And those consequences may be experienced immediately or they may be delayed. But the consequences will come. For instance, you can jump off a building and you can spread your arms and you can pretend that you're flying. But eventually that consequence of your choice is going to smack you right in the face. Right? It may not happen immediately. You may find a little bit of pleasure in it. But your choice has consequences. When the Israelites, two and a half tribes who wanted to enjoy their inheritance on the wrong side of the Jordan River, they promised Moses that they would still cross over And help their brethren fight in the promised land until they secured it. And Moses warned them if they didn't. With Numbers 32 verse 23. And you probably heard this verse quoted at some point. But if you will not do so, Moses said, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. You ever heard that? Your sin will find you out. It will catch up to you. It may not today, but I promise you there's a consequence to our choices. Your sin will find you out. So here's an application. Will I, will I be better off facing the consequences of living life entirely for myself? I've made all the choices according to the lusts of my flesh. And I'll have to face the consequences of that. Would I be better off facing those consequences? Would I be better off giving myself wholly to Christ and trusting him with the results? I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Amen? I just live for the Lord. You, you, could, you could throw this out here. I know people will do this. They'll, they'll throw it out there. But if I live for the Lord, it don't always turn out well, preacher. I mean, look at Daniel. Daniel ended up in a lions den, and I don't want to end up in no lions den. Yeah, but Daniel got out of there. Yeah, but not everybody gets out of there, preacher. I know that, right? But I got to live with myself, and I got to live for the Lord, and I can have the conviction that no matter what came my way, I still I chose I chose to put myself out there and live for the Lord. Or I can run and hide amongst the trees like Adam did. When God comes by, I don't want to hear the voice of God. I don't want His fellowship. I'd rather go over here and hide because, because of these choices that I made. I'd rather face God and say, I did what you, I did what you told me to. Than face God and say, I'm sorry, I messed up because I did what I wanted to do. Can I get any man? Everybody with me? All right, thirdly, what, uh, we must cling. What we cling to most reveals what we value most. What we cling to most reveals what we value most. Turn to Mark chapter 10. We laugh at the little child who will throw a temper tantrum like you've never seen when you try to take something that they really like from them. And many times we do that in our own heart. Ouellette said, if there is anything in our lives that we are unwilling to surrender to God. That thing has taken his place in our heart. Well, in Mark chapter 10, you know this guy, this is, I always call this guy one of the greatest, one of the greatest young men in the Bible. Uh, he is an exceptional young man. And it says in It says, and when he was gone forth into the way, he he is Jesus, there came one running and kneeled down to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered young man answered, Jesus said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Wow, that is, that's a bold statement. And Jesus doesn't argue with him. I always find that interesting. Jesus didn't call him a liar. He didn't didn't argue with him. But it says, it says, Jesus beholding him, loved him, and he said unto him, There's one thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. What's it say in verse 22? Well, the saddest verse in the Bible. He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. His possessions, yes, he was an exceptional young man. Exceptional. He was polite, respectful. He honored his mother and his father. I, I've preached a message from this passage and I said if our daughters brought this young man home, we'd all be ready for them to get married. He's respectful, he's polite, he's successful, he's responsible. All of these things that we rank so highly. But his heart is divided. And there were things that took place of the lord and even though he's coming to the good master and saying listen i want to i want to know some things what must i do jesus just said there's there's something in your heart that you just won't get rid of we cannot live consecrated lives with divided hearts i'll say that again we cannot live consecrated lives with divided hearts it's that simple We must instead heed the words of Barnabas. Remember, I read to us Acts 11 verse 23 last week when he came to the new believers in Antioch and he, he, he saw the grace of God and he was glad and he exhorted them that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, that they would wholly give themselves to the Lord, not partway, completely give themselves to the Lord because consecrated lives cannot live with divided hearts well here's an application is there an area of our lives where we are refusing to allow god to take control we would be honest with the lord and say lord you can have all of these things but when that still small voice and that holy spirit says well what about this can i have this would you would you get rid of this and you say, well, I'm not ready to get rid of that just yet. I, I remember, I'll never forget a conversation, this is a long time ago. I was up in Tennessee, and I, I left church, went to a Long John Silvers. They still one of those in Fayetteville, Tennessee. And I, I went to Long John Silvers, and I was talking to one of the, the ladies who worked there. And I, I asked her, I said some things and led up to a conversation. And I asked her if she knew Jesus as her Savior, and she says, "Oh no," and uh, I, I had introduced myself. She says, "Oh no, preacher," and I said, "Wouldn't you like to?" She says, "No." I, this is what she said: "I'm not through sinning yet." That's what she said. I'm having too much fun. She was honest. I love the honesty. I love the honesty. She says, "No, oh no, preacher. I, I'm not. I'm not ready to quit sinning." I'm not, I'm not through sinning. And you can break that down, but what she was telling me was she's enjoying her life just like it is right now. She knows it's not, she, she's used the word sin because she knew it's, her life is not right with God. But she wasn't ready to come to Jesus just yet. And sometimes we, we think, wow, that's something. But we as, we as Christians, we, we get in the same thing. Tell me we don't. There are things in our life that don't need to be there. How about this? I may preach a message on this soon. How about, how about unforgiveness? How about things like that? A bitterness? How about those things that, that are there and they're rooted there and we just aren't going to let them go? No, sir. I'm not ready to give that up. I'm mad at them. Mad at what they did. Well... You need to give that to the Lord. If he forgave us, we should forgive others, right? I, you know, we get all kinds of scriptures. I'm getting a little off there and I've got to watch my time. Is there an area of our lives where we're refusing to allow God to take control? Here's, here's another one, another application. Am I more concerned with negotiating with God than offering a full surrender? Whoo! Can I talk my way out of this one? Can I, can I negotiate with the Lord and say, you know, if you'll get me out of this, then I'll do this, but only this, right? Am, am I more concerned when negotiating with God than offering a full surrender? Hmm. Well, am I ready to present my body a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy, consecrated life? Well, remember, here's, here's, here's the last one. Remember that God owns everything. How about that? Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and, and, and they that dwell therein. So here's an application. Remember that God owns everything. Am I living in a way that demonstrates that I believe God owns everything? Hmm. Or do I believe I own it? It's mine, Lord. Can't have it. It's mine. My life, are we redeemed? Are we bought with a price? what the scripture says, right? We're bought back. We're reconciled unto God because of the payment, the atonement of our sin in Jesus Christ. He went all of that way so that we could be reconciled back to God. Am I living in a way that demonstrates I believe God owns everything? Well, I'm going to give you some verses about that. But here's the second one. Are even my most precious things yielded to God? Hmm. Here's one. Are my children yielded to God? Do I want my children to experience living in the will of God or do I want them to experience living in Daddy's will? Hmm. Well, how about let's look at a few verses, okay? Let's look, uh, we read Romans 12. Let's, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to see the Scripture. How about my body? Do I yield my body to the Lord? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and verse number 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which ye have of God and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you realize that the Lord lives with inside of you? Hmm. How about that? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Do I yield myself to the Lord? Hmm. Or is it all about me? No. It's my, it's my body. I can do what I want to with it. it, it this, is, this is me. Don't tell me what to do. Well, am I willing to yield myself up to the Lord? How about, uh, uh, how about I just read you this one? Psalm 127, verse 3. All right. Do I yield my children to the Lord? Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Children are a gift from God. They're, they're only ours for a short time. Hmm. really want to get them to the Lord. Amen. I must yield my children to the Lord. Well, here's one. Turn your Bible to John chapter 7 and verse 17. Am I, am I willing to yield my will to the Lord? John Gospel of John 7 verse 17 if any man will do his will he shall know of the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself yielding my will to the Lord how about my future Ah, here's a good one Philippians chapter 1 Philippians chapter 1 New Testament you was in Romans it's just a little bit to the right of Romans 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 1, look in verse 20. Powerful verses. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is what? gain that's a great verse, in it? But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I I what not? I I know not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to part and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He just lays it all out there. If I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ, Amen. So I'm yielding all of my life. I'm yielding all my future. Well, how about how about this one? Huh? Yeah. Let's go to Romans 12. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. Here's a good one. I must yield my rights to the Lord. Hmm. Yeah, this is a good one. Romans 12. Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Well, it's my right. Just let God take care of it. Amen? Don't get yourself in more trouble because you want to take everything in your own hand. God sees it. Let God take care of it. All right? Yielding myself to the Lord. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.4 says, If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Again, I'm yielding my life, my body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And therefore, I'm yielding my will to the Lord. It's not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. Well, I must yield my position. Uh, go, go back to Philippians. You know where that's at. Philippians chapter 2. And uh, I, just got, I just got three more here. All right. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3. Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others others what's that saying it means i don't always have to be first i want an amen there that's what it's saying there i don't have to i don't have to always be first what jesus said his first is what last that's god's economy that's that's god's kingdom all right i don't have to be first I, it doesn't always have to be me let let nothing be done through strife or vainglory we're gonna we're gonna argue this fight this out whatever in lowliness of mind Okay, this ain't about me. Let, me. let me build up somebody else. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then in verses 5 through 8, we must yield our reputation because we see the example in Jesus Christ. And he gives it there, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Remember that baby born in a manger? Yeah. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Remember the one who washed the feet of his disciples, including Judas? That's him. He made himself of no reputation. He was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I must yield my reputation. Is Jesus king of kings and lord of lords? Yes, he is. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. There's no doubt about that. But when he came, he didn't, the, he didn't come as the ruler. He came as the lamb who would take away the sin of the world. Well... I must yield my possessions also. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. So in closing, living an obedient and faithful Christian life does not come by happenstance. It comes from a consecrated, sacrificial life. Right? If I want to be a, 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 a fruitful Christian... It don't just happen. It's a life that is consecrated, living for the Lord and allowing God's will to be accomplished in my life and not my will, all right? Application, is there a part of my life, this is something to consider as we close, is there a part of my life that I have given to God but I find myself trying to take it back? That's something to think about. Is there a part of my life that I've given to God but I find myself trying to take it back. I, can, can I? Two rows right there locking on me. Because we see this happen all the time in the Hope House. People come in, they do really good for a little while. And then they take it back. We all, we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. I'm going to give it to the Lord. I, Lord, I'm tired of this life. And we give it to the Lord. And we're like the Israelites, Oh. whole why did the Lord leave me here? I'd rather go back to Egypt where I suffered and I begged God to get me out of it. Have we given a part of our life to the Lord? But we find ourselves trying to take that back. And we're going to end up in the mess that we were before. D.L. Moody said, if we make a full surrender, God will give us something better than we have known before. We will get a new vision of Jesus Christ and we will thank God not only in this life but in the life to come. The principle of consecration. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want to serve the Lord then give yourself completely to him. Right? Here I am, Lord. Take me. Use me. So, Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you for the principles that are found throughout. And we see here in Romans chapter 12, the teaching from the Apostle Paul, the importance of a consecrated life, a life that is yielded to the will of God. And, Father, I'm ashamed to say many times in my life, Lord, I've found myself... Unyielding. Lord, I have seen myself, although I could look and say, well, I'm effective in certain areas. But I could say that there are some things in my life that I've had a hard time letting go. Lord, Dale Moody was challenged by that thought of being fully surrendered and giving it all to you. I pray tonight that as we've studied this passage that we, that we want to seek some things in our own heart and life. We're here on a Wednesday night because we want something more. We recognize that the struggles of this life. We are, we're here because it is important to us to be here. And therefore, we realize tonight that we want to be challenged from your word. And so I'm praying tonight that you allow all of us to look in our own heart. And look on our life. And help us to apply these things to us tonight. That we could be wholly, completely given to you. That we're not found conformed to the image of this world. But every day we're transformed more and more by the renewing of our minds. We're yielding ourselves to you. And may your perfect and holy and wonderful will be carried out. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Help us to be fruitful Christians. Amen. Amen. All right.